the United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Muller trying to turn. There's the left foot. What a tracking shot. Johnny Muller. If you see a 9-9, Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. Some of the great soccer players of the Cold War period represented the colonial power that ruled their country. One example of this is the great footballer Eusebio, who played for Portugal in the 1960s. Todd Cleveland is a specialist in African history at the University of Arkansas, and he's made a particular study of Eusebio's career. Todd, Eusebio, absolutely top-class footballer. Absolutely, sure. He uh, was born and grew up in Mozambique, um, which was a Portuguese colony at the time um, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, achieved independence in 1974 or 75. Um, but Eusebio uh, most famously played uh, in Portugal for Benfica, a Lisbon-based outfit, and also for the Portuguese national team for a number of years um, before going on to play overseas uh, in the post-colonial period um, at the end of his career. Um, and as you indicated, he um, he represented Portugal. Of course, Mozambique had really had no national soccer team at the time. It was a colony, although there was a there was a colonial team that uh, gathered periodically to play against other colonies, um, and occasionally from club teams from Portugal on tours of Africa. But if you're a gifted footballer, you just want to play, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. So it's um, we're tempted, I think, perhaps over tempted to politicize um, this participation or this engagement with the game. And in fact, Eusebio was most vocal about the fact that football is his politics. He was very apolitical, as were many of these players, in fact, in sharp contrast to some of the Francophone African players who came to France and were very uh, got very heavily involved in politics. And studying Eusebio as a, as a footballer, do you watch films of him playing? What would you say would be his great attributes on the pitch? Sure, yeah. It's, abs- it's, it's really wonderful to go back and watch films. YouTube has been uh, fantastic. Uh, for just that purpose and so many others of course um, but it's fun to watch the old games um, he's he has a, such a powerful shot he's he's significantly quicker than many of the other players uh, against whom he's playing um, just a, also a real nose for goal I mean he's kind of a poacher in a way too um, which we wouldn't necessarily think of for such a world-class player one of the best of all time but he, he's clearly uh, much more talented than than the opposition in, in many many respects um, he also um, perhaps like Messi perhaps you could argue even Ronaldo uh, takes a fair amount of abuse on the pitch. I mean, he's just that much quicker with his feet, that much faster. And so he often has some very, very rough games, especially against international competition. 1966 and the the World Cup in England, the Portuguese end up losing 2-1 in the semifinal versus England versus the home team. There's an iconic image of Eusebio uh, exiting the pitch, uh, crying, clutching his Portuguese jersey. Um, and so what's interesting about it to me is it, it's interesting on a number of levels. One is that he's he's commiserating with a, with a Portuguese, a white Portuguese member. It's a sort of a very anonymous member of the team. Um, and so it suggests this, this sort of uh, cooperation, commiseration, camaraderie um, in a way that's 
um, very incongruent with our understandings of the colonial period at that time. This is a time when there are wars being fought for independence in Mozambique and in uh, Eusebio's home country or colony, um, in Angola and Guinea as well. So this is against this political backdrop, um, this, this, this cooperation and this commiseration this, that transcends race and so many other things um, against this very severe, grave political backdrop. And what was the feeling in Mozambique when uh, Eusebio is playing for Portugal at that level? I mean, that's quite some level to be playing at in the World Cup. Sure, there's a great deal of pride um, among Mozambicans, among both black and white Mozambicans. The white settlers in the colonies were often treated um, as sort of second-class citizens. These were folks who generally couldn't make things work in Portugal and were sent off or sought opportunity in the colonies. Um, and so there was a great deal of pride among the white settlers as well. And so um, this, there was a sense of, he, he generated a sense of Mozambican nationalism, not just him, but some of the other players as well. Um, but it was a very difficult time for him in, in the sense that the, these wars were raging, um, and all these players for that matter, and they didn't really want to get involved in, in, the, in the politics of the day. For the most part, some of them did, but not, not many at all. You could count on one hand. One of the things that uh, Eusebio left behind was a, a legacy. I mean, he is considered to be one of the great footballers in, in England, so he certainly made an impact. Absolutely, yeah. FIFA ranked him number nine as on their greatest all-time list, and so actually Mario Coluna, one of the other players, appears on the top 100 list, also deriving from Mozambique. So there's a great there's a great footballing legacy that Eusebio leaves behind, um, but also a different sort of social legacy and labor legacy. I mean, if you really kind of get into the his 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 day-to-day -day experiences beyond the the sort of famous moments on the pitch. Eusebio is one of those characters who maybe like Ronaldo is unfortunate, maybe like Gareth Bale as well, is unfortunate to play for a, a national side that isn't quite at the top table. Do you think Eusebio is a player who maybe didn't quite reach the level, the international stage that he should have played on? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think, you know, 66 is the closest they get. And afterwards, um, you know, they never sort of get close again, at least as, at least in terms of his career. Um, that Portugal doesn't sort of ascend again in world soccerdom until um, much more recently, 2004 Euro Cup, for example. Um, yeah, I think I think injuries took a toll on Eusebio. Um, his knees were operated on a number of times. And so by the late 60s, his skills are deteriorating. Uh, he's no longer he sort of has the constitution or the endurance that he once had. So yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a career that was littered with many wonderful moments. But I think there's probably some um, some potential that was unfulfilled and majorly uh, or primarily attributable to to some of the knee injuries that he incurred. He died quite recently, didn't he? Uh, what do you think his legacy is? Oh gosh, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away last year. I think his football legacy is, is certainly secure. I guess part of this research will hopefully prompt um, folks to look into other aspects of his life, um, the, the the sort of challenges he had. I mean, he's sort of a Jackie Robinson figure in many ways. Not just him, but this but this group of players. The the very uh, very acute social challenges that they faced. Um, not only I mean, this isn't a matter of growing up in the same country in which you play. I mean, they're they're going thousands of miles away um, into what's what's in a sense somewhat familiar but largely an alien environment um, and so they had many many more challenges off the pitch uh, than they did on it and I think that's part of the legacy that this generation of African players um, you know should should rightfully leave behind. What was the kind of journey that these African players had to make in in these Portuguese times? Did they relocate to Lisbon into uh, training academies and uh, from there were uh, were trained and filtered into the national squad? Did they play for uh, club side? 
sides? Sure. It, it was a very sort of oftentimes a very multi-segmented journey, not only in terms of the logistics. Oftentimes they had to take uh, boats um, from southern Africa, and it took them uh, over a month to arrive in, in the capital. Uh, some of them stayed in Lisbon and played. Others went north to Porto. Others went into the interior, the sort of sparsely populated Portuguese interior, uh, to play. Um, oftentimes they would start out on the reserves, and if they you know, proved their, their worth, um, would be quickly elevated to the senior level. But many of them never made it. I mean, of course, there are many, many untold stories of players, just as there are now, who you know make these make these sort of massive, profound moves, you know, intercontinental moves, but whom we never end up hearing of, of, about because they don't make it all the way to the top, just shy. There are many cab drivers in Lisbon, I, I imagine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And many of the players in this time, if they didn't succeed um, as footballers in Portugal, were required to go back to the colonies. Um, there was no room for them to just stay in Portugal and work and uh, attend school or anything like that. The, the the stipulation was if they were to stay, that then they could parlay that opportunity into some other opportunities, educational opportunities or occupational remunerative opportunities. But if they didn't succeed on the pitch, um, those quickly uh disappeared and they were forced to return to the, their respective colonial settings. At the time, Mozambique and Angola were producing world-class players um, and those sort of those talent pools dried up over time. So Portugal still actively mines um, the African talent market, namely the Lusophone uh, countries. Um, but the fact is that there are no more great players coming out of those, those nations. And so it's not so much that Portugal necessarily did or didn't do something or deviated from a, from a path that was working quite well, uh, but in fact the talent in a sense just dried up. You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org. These podcasts are part of the project The Global History of Sport in the Cold War, which is sponsored by the National Endowment of the Humanities, directed by Professor Bob Edelman of UC San Diego, Professor Chris Young from the University of Cambridge, and Dr Christian Osterman of the Woodrow Wilson Centre, and run in collaboration with the German Historical Institute Moscow, the Jordan Centre for Advanced Russian Studies at New York University, and Pembroke College, University of Cambridge. The presenter is Vince Hunt and the series is produced by Vince Hunt and Laura Deal.